we gotta so do this. Goofy. We gotta start the, way the episode. You guys are all on your like <laughs> post weekend Sunday night hilarity. It's a Monday morning for me, and I'm like, I'm okay, sorry. let's get going. I'm let's so- work. It's a silly day. It's you silly. You guys are so goofy. Listen, it's just the. All right, I have to get us Brandon's together. Having a moment. I have to get us together. Um, okay. Everyone, take a deep breath. You too, listener. Listeners aren't hearing this shit. Oh no, they are. I'm keeping all of this in. Don't worry. Oh my god. <laughs> Don't keep this in. Yes, you're included. Hey, we did this for you. We're taking deep breath exercises yes. because this is where we're at. It's Sunday night. It's Monday morning. Monday morning. We're in. Are we in four different time zones for the first time? That's crazy. We're in four yep. different. Anyway. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part one of the season four halftime Q&A mid-season roundup. All of those different worlds. Words. I'm so sorry. All those different words to describe what this episode is. Um, so every season we have two Q&As. We have one in the middle of the season and we have one at the end of the season. And something special about this uh, Q&A that we're doing today is that it's going to be in two count them two episodes um and not just one we are uh yeah kind of spreading things out just a little bit we're gonna start part one with kind of just a discussion on um savage worlds and the season so far and all that just kind of general thoughts and then we're going to move into uh listener story driven questions and then part two i think we have enough story questions to have a little bit of story talk at the beginning of uh, part two, and then we're going to move into just some general random questions. And before I say anything else, uh, it's imperative that you listen to all of these parts, both of these parts, all the way through, because we do have an announcement at the end of part two that we would like you all to hear. Um, so yeah, anything else before we get started? Any Any comments from the crew? <laughs> No, let's get into it. Great. Let's blow this joint. Perfect. Um, So the first bullet point I have on here is let's talk about Savage Worlds. Um, I guess the way that we can start that off, um, there is a a question about this later. Um, So we can talk about how we kind of got to Savage Worlds later, but um, let's just talk about it as as a system. Mills, what drew you to Savage Worlds? Why are we using it? Why do you like it? Yeah. So I think, in my opinion, I think Savage Worlds is a very powerful, modular, and versatile system. I don't think we're using it to its full potential, and that's mostly because I haven't spent the hours of like building out the mechanics of lore tailored to my specific world. Um, but I... I personally, A, I like systems that involve rolling multiple dice. I think more dice is fun. I like the idea of weighting the probability by the size of the die. Um, Savage Worlds reminds me a little bit of like 7th C in the sense that there's this concept that your character is the main character. And as such, you have specific abilities that other characters in the game don't have unless they're like named NPCs. Um, that I really, really enjoy. Um, I also think that on the terms of mechanics level, it's closer to like fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons 
than um, something like, I felt like a lot of the like fate or powered by the apocalypse systems were a bit too loose and just the simple like success or failure across the board. Um, and I wanted something that had a little bit more nuance for players to be able to try and spec into things and have it really, really matter rather than just be the a simple 2d6 system. Um, I also think one thing I liked about Savage Worlds is that there is some lore, like you can buy lore packs, but it was the system is generally lore agnostic. So you can really very easily take it and adapt it to whatever you want. Whereas I feel with D&D, um, unless we have something like Star Wars 5e where someone has gone through all of the work to actively port it to that system, um, it always feels a little bit like clunky. But um, that's my general overview. And then I was just looking into system. Like there's so many systems and so many games out there. So um, I was also just kind of, there's probably other systems and games that we could have used and explored that I just haven't happened to come upon. <coughs> um, but yeah, that's like my my high level overview of the Savage World system. But I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I think every system we've used so far that isn't D&D, which I guess is just this and 7C, I think we are misusing it to some level simply because we haven't all read the, the book start to finish. And that's fine. I think we're just like adapting it to our play style and the story we want to tell. And I, I don't think that is wrong or, you know, dumb or anything yeah. like that. Um, something I really, really like that I think you touched on a little bit is how malleable Savage Worlds is. And they make that super clear in, in the rule book. I did read some of the rule book. I didn't read all of it. But they make it super clear that like this is a system you can use if it just if there's like five of you sitting in your living room and you just want to tell a story you, without any pieces or anything like that, you can do that. Or if you want to get super rules heavy, if you're all rules lawyers and you want to use as many pieces and minis and dice and, you know, miniatures and maps and stuff like that, you can do that as well. And I really enjoy that. I think that's super perfect for podcast format because we're right in the middle there. Um, nobody else can see what we're doing. Um but, you know, we can still have rules and still play a game. Um, and then malleable also in the fact that, like you said, it's not, uh, it's, it is lore agnostic. Um, they have like, like superpowers if you want to do like a superhero setting, if you want to do like a steampunky science setting, or if you want to do like, you know, like we're doing like a high fantasy setting. There's stuff for like, there's details for all of that in there and you can really adjust it to how you want to do it. So I, I really enjoy it for, for all of those reasons. Um, yeah, I think that's something I also really enjoy about is the malleability. Um, and I like the diversity of dice a lot. Like, uh, like I love rolling a D12. I love rolling a D12. And that's one thing that would get a little tiresome about D and D about most other like fancy role-playing games is ultimately, you pretty much just use the fullest sort of dice for damage, and then you probably, unless you're a, a really heavy spellcaster, you're probably still only using you know one or two of the dice. You might just cast one or two over and over again. So having a real big diversity in which dice you use, I think, is a great way to balance it. That's a lot more engaging, I think, than um, just using pluses and minuses, etc. <clears throat> you also use a card deck. 
which is yeah. weird. That's yeah. initiative is with yeah. a card, a deck of cards, which I, is crazy. Which I, I don't love the deck of cards initiative system. I like it that it's unique. That's, that's what that I like. That would be so much be- easier in person, though. That is one thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that, yeah. is true. Yeah. that works in person when you can see every like literal cards on the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, I mostly agree with the takes about uh, the Savage World system. I think that it, I think where it loses its its um, malleability for me is that I think that if you want to run this system for a campaign that's really heavy on the combat and you're wanting to use battle maps and such, like you're gonna have to do a lot of the building out of some of those mechanics yourself. Yeah. Because I think yeah. that the like toughness armor situation and then also like how powers work in this game what you get for uh you know just the base game and like the rules and such is pretty limited i would say um like you know i if we weren't going to use savage worlds we were going to use D, right and if i pulled you up a, a, a character sheet of magnus vale for savage worlds as like the highest power wizard he could be versus D, my D character sheet would be like five times as long because it has D and D as a system has a much more robust uh, path that your characters follow through to like become that powerful. Um, I do think Savage Worlds is probably a system that makes a lot more sense to use if you're going to use it like we're doing, which is mostly in a narrative, um, quasi regency sort of way where there's some combat, but it's not like the main focus of what you're doing. Um, I think it works super well, and you can use it for really any setting um i i appreciate the diversity of dice uh sentiment i don't know how much i really care about it versus the simplicity of rolling a d20 for everything um i don't like having to fish for my dice but it's a relatively minor aspect of the gameplay experience (laughs) all things considered i i like that it serves as a unique leveling system um that is true yes i do like that aspect of it yeah i also, must be said, I love an exploding die. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That there's something so sweet about that. Yeah. But I mm. also I think I think for me personally, the amount of money I've spent on dice or like dice that I've I own dice sets that have cost upwards of like I don't know easily like a hundred dollars buying like crystal or gemstone dice, mm-hmm. and so and I'm like. I kind of do want to roll that d12. Yeah. Now that yeah. you mention it. Yeah. But I, I do, I, I do see where you're coming from. Like exploding dice really is so satisfying, especially considering there's. It says in the rules if it explodes on an explosion, it explodes again. Like theoretically, <laughs> you can go over and over and over. Yeah. And just, um, one thing that this game has, which is kind of an inverse of like powered by the apocalypse games where i and i think 7c also had the like you can choose to fail Mm -hmm. um i i do like the idea of bennies where you can choose to succeed like if Mm -hmm. there's something that is so important to your character in this moment you can you can like push that and get that win which i think especially for a podcast or like a thing like that like being able to tip those scales just a little bit is nice yeah and it it just like makes a lot of sense because I think they kind of line this in the rule book. It's like, if you're a master rogue and you're trying to pick a lock and in D&D, you roll a nat one, you roll a nat one. And that's that's like it. And that just really doesn't make sense a lot of times for characters, like especially like ours, who are masters at what they do. 
It just doesn't make sense for them to fail at the thing that they've been doing for years and years and years that they have masterfully cra- crafted for however long. If you, it, it sucks that if you were to roll a dice and the dice say, oh, you get snake eyes, then sorry, you're out of luck. But Benny's really helped that not happen. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a concept that solves that problem in a similar way that I actually might prefer to Benny's. It, it's, it's from the kids on bike or kid, yeah, kids on bike system where if the difficulty class of the skill you're rolling is half of whatever die you would roll for that skill, you could just choose to succeed it, which makes yeah. a lot of sense, which sort of solves the problem of like, I should be able to pick like a normal fucking padlock mm-hmm. with 20 it- decks, but... <clears throat> It gets into that thing where um, I think I I like playing D&D, but there's a lot of things about D&D that require having a good DM to make judgment calls on whether or not to force rolls. Whereas something like that on kids and bikes, you don't need the GM to make that judgment call about like you need to roll to pick a lock at a, you know, a random ass tavern when you're a level 20 rogue because it's already built into the system, which I think just speaks to well-written systems. Mm-hmm. It's um, something I think worked well in 7C. And honestly, I think a lot of things in the system make a little bit more sense in 7C. There's a few things in 7C. I was I, like, what? Um, I will. But one thing I think that makes a lot of sense is that you, it evens out the, there's still critical successes and failures, but for the most part, you have different levels of success. And it's the raise system that I really like for that reason is there's a difference between getting a little bit like whenever you get like eight raises versus two versus a failure, there's scales to success that are really dependent on how good you are at what you're doing. And um, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, but Savage Worlds doesn't have uh, Giuseppe raises, so I really <laughs> know how I It has Craig that. raises, you know, you're right. That was not my, that was not the best time of my life. <laughs> 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 Look, look, you, you can't be you can't be at your a game every day maybe, <laughs> you know and giuseppo raises you know that was so fucking hilarious <laughs> pretty good for what especially the okay. fact that it's apparently like back to back if you're binging the series <laughs> <laughs> oh you get a giuseppo raise what the fuck is a giuseppo raise <laughs> I really um, thought you guys were gaslighting me on that because it just sounds so stupid. Which I mean, <laughs> like, surely I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but, uh, before we get too far off, I do want to say I think another thing with all of these systems is that I've read through. I haven't read through the entire rule book. I've read through most of it at one point, and the amount of information that just in one ear out the other when you're consuming so many rules, and I think. I assume all of us started playing D&D either after listening to someone play through the game on a podcast or in as a group with someone else who had more experience. And I think that part of being able to have such a cultural understanding of how a game works and a consensus on the rules and like D&D, you know, there's sage advice, there's the Robert Crawford tweets and like all of that, I think starting a new system and this is something we saw with 7c to a lesser extent with star wars 5e because it's ported off star wars i mean ported off 5e um and this that like even reading through the rules and thinking you understand them not having experience and and also i have almost a decade of D under my belt at this point and uh having to like realize that um 
there's just so much knowledge and like understanding of mechanics that you just get intuitively to the point where you understand in areas that are kind of gray where the rules would be aligned because you have that innate understanding of balance that we don't really get as we're trying out these new games and none of us are the sort who's like, okay, we're going to spend three hours looking at every single forum to try and figure this out because we're just going to kind of roll with it because it doesn't fucking matter in the end of the day. Yeah, which is probably a good sentiment to end on when it comes to like choosing systems over the other. I honestly, I don't think I've ever played a system like, I don't think really any of us would ever admit to playing a system like truly like straight as an arrow. Like these are the rules, like look it up in the book. Cause oftentimes it's more fun to just like go with what makes sense in the moment, um, which is all the rules are trying to do anyway, is just make your game fun and, and playable beyond, you know, just like yeah. making it up as you go on. So yeah, I Sometimes think the rules are bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think our, as a lawyer, yes, yeah. <laughs> I think our conversation is kind of uh, spilling into one of the questions we got, so I'm gonna jump ahead just a tad, and um, before we get into our second uh, bullet point, which is season discussion. Someone asked us, um, at one point, this was pitched as a level 20 reverse game in D&D. What brought about the system change? And do you think that the system has had any influence on the story or how you are telling it? Um, so, I mean, I get Mills, if you want to take this question, I guess this is this was your yeah. decision. So, yeah. So, I was going to do level 20 d and I know, I know 5th edition D&D like the back of my hand. Like, I know so many of the rules, uh, everything about how it functions. So, it seemed like a really... It's just kind of like what you go for. It's like your your safe choice at a restaurant. It's like fettuccine Alfredo. Like, you know, it's it's I'm just going to get that. Um, initially, the reason why I was thinking about switching was the when the whole like OGL debacle happened with yeah. 1D&D and all of that. And it wasn't so much that I was like actively worried about being like sued by Wizards of the Coast or whatever. Right. But <clears throat> I that was kind of a moment uh when that was I happening right was, when we were starting season, like the, right, yeah, all the development happened. of this. Yeah, so that we hadn't started recording yet, and we had just been talking about, and people were like fleshing out their characters and the lore and the backstories. And hey, I already knew I didn't. I wanted to do like an entire sort of homebrew situation. I liked doing homebrew. Um, we could get on that later. But uh, for me, I was like, I've been wanting to move away from D and D in general, and I talk about how important other TTRPGs and things are. And so that was just like, this seems as good a time as any. In order to, to switch, I was like, oh, everyone's kind of doing it right now. And if I don't do it now, then I'm locking into another year of like this system. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wanted to add something that I was thinking about when we were talking previously is that uh, a downfall of Savage Worlds and a downfall of a lot of the TTRPGs um, that exist outside of D&D is that there's not a lot of crazy accessible resources, especially online for like character creators and other things along those lines like um resources of other that other people have made because they are familiar with the content so i think spreading like just kind of creating a culture of not focusing so much on D D and create like getting people familiar with those other games and kind of creating a culture of we can play more things than D D. we there are other games that exist out there i think is a is a good trend to kind of go on to um because i think that was a lot of 
Mills, your kind of I- ideals, just moving away from D&D in general, just so like the the whole OGL debacle, it doesn't just cripple an entire community if it were like if it were to go through. I think that's yeah. important. Fully, fully agree. Um, and then the other part of the question is the level 20 in reverse. I I just like doing things that other people aren't doing. I don't want to run the same games. And not not that there's anything wrong with like seeing someone do something and doing something similar, but I had never seen a TTRPG where people leveled in reverse. And I there's like a few questions in here that are more about the content of the story of the season. But I mean, I'm a firm believer that the mechanics of the game fundamentally alter how you play a game you're not going to tell the same story even if you have the same source book and the same things with different mechanics just because of how it forces your brain to approach and uh, deal with situations and I feel like a lot of the traditional high fantasy story is you go you grind you get better you get stronger you defeat the big bad and then you save the world and I really want to grapple with like what happens after that and I think that's something that we've seen in the characters of the of this season where if we did the first part of the campaign now granted because of the way the battle ended like the the plot of the campaign is plot of campaign but like now you have all of these people who have sacrificed so much to get to this point trying to grapple with like what was the actual cost of that sacrifice and what was and was it worth it and even if you do the big thing the world doesn't just fix itself. So what do you have to keep doing? And hopefully through the end of the campaign, we arrive at a conclusion because it's not just going to go on forever. And it's like, well, just kidding. You didn't actually defeat it and you didn't actually defeat it again. And you like, that would be, I think, really frustrating. Um, but yeah, I just, I liked the idea of uh, starting out really high level and slowly losing it because you just get to explore, like, I don't know, when you... You have to start caring about all the shit that you stopped caring about in the beginning of the game. Like, and the thing with D&D specifically is you start D&D and it's like, if a commoner looks at you wrong, you die. And you end D&D and you're a god. And somewhere in between that, honestly, between level one and two are like regular human beings. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's an interesting like way to approach uh, character creation. And I, I also think you guys all gave me really good plot hooks in the forms of your backstories and your characters to like wrestle with that now that you've now that you're losing something that you care about so much and like also what does it mean to have power if you can no longer zap people out of time with your mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i was initially a little bit skeptical about the leveling and reverse thing because something i love to my core is leveling up in video games it's <laughs> yeah. so inherently satisfying and so my initial reaction was what mills wants to take all my level ups away <laughs> this is nonsense and then um when i started like storyboarding for magnus i was like well this actually gives me a consistent way to create a character that has like lived a long and interesting life without it feeling like, and that's why I'm starting here at level one after I've already befriended the dragon and slayed the lich right. and now the adventure starts. It's like, I can actually like have had a life and like have, you know, friends and a tower and all this stuff. And then it's like, 
well, now it's like I'm sort of like passing off the reins so I can really direct like a lot of people like with what I sort of like want to have happen. Like it kind of gives you a lot more to chew on as a player character when your game master is giving you the green light to say like, hey, you're the boss and, you know, whatever, however you this character lived their life is how they lived their life. And so it's been been cool to have that opportunity. Uh, you know, awesome. um, sorry. I was going to say that reminds me, sorry, I know I've been talking a lot, but that reminds me of, uh, I think this is one thing that actually works out better in Savage Worlds than it does in 5e with de-leveling because Savage Worlds leveling, you buy like your advantages and they, and so the way you accrued all of your abilities in your lore doesn't have to be the way that you lose them. And I think Brendan, you can kind of talk about that too, as you've been de-leveling Arcos. Because with D&D, it's like you de-level and it's like, congrats, you are no longer have evasion. Suck it. <laughs> Whereas here, you can decide the order in which you want to start your slow descent back to normalcy. That's exactly where, where I was thinking, because there's some things that there's some things I think I, I chose as I was creating the character and going down the line that made sense increasingly as I like fame and famous fame and famous are like two different can't remember but um, they're two different levels of the same tree and that's something that makes sense when you're a higher level you know but when you're de-leveling it doesn't make sense for that to go go away as much um, you have so a perk of that is you have like followers <laughs> and stuff um, which we got to play a little bit whenever uh, Arcos got to the, the city and I was like incense or candles or something and those was like get, get the candles for Arcos um, which makes sense, and as you de-level, you can keep certain things, I think, that make sense for the character as other things go away. So your, your raw power is decreasing, but it doesn't mean you forget your common knowledge. <laughs> um, so being able to add things in order of the way the story goes, but subtracting them in order of what makes sense to lose, I think is really, really good at, at 7C. Or you can intentionally lose your common knowledge to keep your spellcasting high. I was going to say. And the way you explain that is that you just get stupider as the magic gets harder to <laughs> I was going to say, it's going to be so funny brain. when we have to start leveling down our smarts and our common knowledge. <laughs> because I you just get so. stupider. I know. But I also, and this is sort of my philosophy as a GM. This is something that I've had to do, I think, coming up with D&D that makes a lot of sense. It, it gets back to the, you know, mastermind rogue trying to pick a lock and failing even though you <laughs> yeah. have like a plus 18 because you rolled a one and you didn't hit the DC or whatever. But like, I like to view dice rolls as the outcome of the situation, not necessarily the result of what the character did. Because <laughs> it's like, it makes a lot less sense for Winnie to be like, she just doesn't fucking know what butterflies are anymore. <laughs> like, then to be like, ah, there's something weird here. Or like, you know, uh, not recognizing a magical glyph because you, you've you lost that knowledge, mm. but then maybe there was some, maybe this one was a weird one. Yeah. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're naturally sliding into a uh, season discussion. So this is a question that I've asked Mills uh, at least once since uh, we've done how many episodes? 19. Um, how's it, how is it? How are we doing? How is it going? Is this how you kind of envision things to go? Because I definitely feel like I had uh, a different 
idea, I guess a different vibe of what I thought was going to happen um, going into the season. Um, and so I'm just, I have been curious, and you've answered this for me before, but I'm giving you a chance to answer in front of everyone else. Yeah. Um, like, how, like, how is this going how you imagined, basically? Yeah, I don't remember what I said last time you asked me that. I don't so either. I'm just going to give my answer how I feel right now. <laughs> um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Like, the the general story... Be- I think we've we've taken some... Okay. The general story beat that you guys have been hitting, I think, um, are following the progression that I expected. Um, I think one thing that I didn't expect, and I, I guess I didn't really have expectations, is... Every time a different one of us sits in this GM seat, the party dynamic shifts a little bit. And so, like, getting to know not just who your characters are in the backstories, but, like, how you embody them and what you're each, like, looking for. Now that I'm the one that has to pay attention to that, not just, like, fucking around and doing my own broody, slutty stuff. (laughs) Um, Um... So, yeah, I think this probably, I also think part of that is, as we've started telling the story, realizing what I like doing as a DM in this format, this is like, this is the longest storyline for a production that I've ever had to maintain. And so I haven't changed any of like the core of like the plot points, but how we're getting there and how we're interacting. I kind of viewed, uh, spoilers, I guess, um, the first part of the season especially because it's like a new world of like trying to really like outline and do a lot of lore and you guys are just now getting to the part where you're you have a lot of the information and you are starting to make sense of it you're getting an idea of the way that the world works and how that differs from the way that your characters were told the world works um and you're getting toward, like, the actual conclusion. So in that sense, I would say, yeah, this is going pretty well. I think a lot of of it, a lot of this you guys have been kept in the dark on, <laughs> and that is kind of intentional, because it's, it's hard to build a new world and then have you guys explore it and then be like, just kidding, your life is a lie. Uh, because I can't just tell you your life is a lie, because then you would know. But then if you didn't know, then it wouldn't be the <laughs> same sort of thing. feeling. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, well, maybe it's like, well, you know, like I, I always think on Magnus too, because Magnus is just old and like knows everything, and so it's like. Being able to give you lore and then give you things you don't know and be like, this is important that you don't know that actually <laughs> is is a little is it's been an interesting challenge, but. Yeah, so I think, I, I'm very happy with how you guys have been moving through. I know it's felt, like, kind of slow, but I think that's also just how I like to do stories. I think you've, like, effectively done what you're you're describing of, like, subverting our expectations about the world in a couple key moments thus far. Um, I think, like, the first one being, like, attacking the encampment below Mount Vrular and being like, holy fuck, my brother is, like... <laughs> a high-ranking official in this organization we've been fighting. And that's sort of insane. And then also in the... Spoiler, by the way. Uh, if you're here by now and you're, like, getting spoiled, like, I'm sorry, I'll go for you. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. then in the Crypt of Almost Certain Death, when Arcos's like, fire sun god is like, JK, I'm actually goth as fuck. Um, 
and your whole life is a lie. So like I think there have been like little things throughout this that have been communicating effectively like yeah the world's a little bit off from what you've been like told thus far. Um, yeah, the whole the whole concept. This is another question I think someone sent in, but the whole concept of uncertainty has really been fucking me up. I think it's been fucking all of us up a little bit because, uh, as I said before, I I was expecting a little bit of a different vibe. I was really expecting that first like um, big fight that we were walking into the first episode. I really thought it was gonna be like, yeah, this is this is the fight. We know this is the fight. We're going to do it, and yay, we did it. And then we move on from there. But it's been very much a mystery. Like, we're like, did we, did we do the right thing? Are we going the right direction? Where the fuck are we supposed to go? Which is, it's frustrating to me as a planner. Um, but since, you know, the god that we're fighting is literally the god of uncertainty, I mean, it makes sense. It, like, we don't, like, that's what the God wants with, for us to not know what's happening. Which. Or does it? Yeah, <laughs> it's all it? a mystery. Wait, can we get, what? Can we uh, get to the conspiracy theories? Because I want to know what you guys are thinking. Oh, I had a. I mean, like, I haven't really theorized. I have a whole. I brought out my iPad for this. I, I, I know Rob hasn't really had any theories about what's happened this season. You know, he's taking it pretty <laughs> casually and just. <laughs> Taking everything in stride. So but I know other people. Like. Hold on, yeah. I have. I want to show you. Really haven't thought. This it was. Out this was my lot. whole. You can't. It's hard to see on camera. But this was my whole. Like I took a screenshot of the lore that podcast, you sent. So and, oh, I'm just showing you for for. Yeah. I have a bunch of crazy scribblings on an iPad. Um, I so at the start of this campaign, Mill sent us this huge notion tree that has. Tons of different lore on a bunch of different stuff. And so I think all of us have probably read that and reread it and reread it, trying to find the clues in there. And so, like, I don't know. I'm talking a lot. So if someone wants to stop me, stop me. But I... Go off. I I sent... uh, I think I sent this to Rob to see what his thoughts were on this. But um, there's a whole passage in... um, I don't know what page it is. I don't have it written here but um about Cite how your sources or does it it's okay well i have the the subtitle which is called the natural yeah. uh, i don't know what page that's on but um it's talking about how everything in this world is incredibly cyclical everything corrects itself in some way or another so my th- especially since we found the blueprints about rular being a battery for something I thought, okay, so the brow, the browed, bro, the brow, it's been a while since we recorded. Yeah, um, brow's the guys. Right, right, right. So Brow's the man. This, this plague and this god and these people are literally sapping the life out of the world that we live in. So that just means it's being funneled somewhere else. That means it's it's going, because it doesn't, it doesn't get created or disappear. It's going to, like, it's very clear here that, like, where something happens, something else corrects that thing. So, like, I'm like, basically, I wrote in big letters, like, what is the volcano powering? It's b- powering something. It's the I think the the blight is powering Rular, which is powering something else. Whether that's a god, whether that is a titan, whether that's something else, I think it's taking all of the life from the land and just putting it somewhere else to take over whatever. 
But and I think that's a pretty basic just understanding of what's happening. But like, that's just me kind of putting my thoughts together. Is it like an army? Is it like putting the life back into our Kratos in order to get more power um, to take back uh, Koira and Kraith? I don't know. That's just kind of my my Charlie Day bulletin board. <laughs> Pepe Sylvia. Yeah. Good yeah, 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 yeah. It is always funny hearing you guys talk about things because, and I, this is not just related to that. This is a thought that I had when I was looking through here and saw the theories. Um, is like, as, <laughs> you guys will say things and you'll be like, I think this, this, and this. And it's like 1,000% on one of them. Another one, <laughs> great. A third one, I didn't even realize you could connect those dots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Han's really leading the front on the Mount Verlar conspiracy side yeah, of this. Yeah, where are you on this? Um, <laughs> what conspiracies are going around your noggin? I just I feel think- like you're the one who's always been most vocal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so Magnus, I think, true to his character, has been much more focused on the, uh, like, divine aspect of all of this and, like, the gods' interference. Because, for like, I guess it, in his org chart of importance, he's like, well, I talk to the head, like, the god, and basically it talks shit at me. So that really set the tone, episode one, for what Magnus was going to be focused on. So, I mean, my base, my, like really like thousand foot view is that the brown is making a divine power play to become like a dominant divine entity in the hearts and minds of people in Koira and doing so through the machinations which Han just described and then like slowly I mean Magnus thinks based on the evidence of like Hurin and the people of his hometown like getting co-opted into this and like kind of understanding how there's a power vacuum in Koira, like no place is like really truly safe from the outside world. Like I think the Brad is taking advantage of that and basically promising like a false messiah sort of scenario where they're offering people like a way out of the uncertainty, but it's really just fuel for the fire of the, you know, divine harvesting of all these people's worship to become more powerful. And like I, I reflect back on the conversation that Magnus had with the with the Brad where the Brad was like you know, like, have you talked to your gods recently? And Magnus is like, oh, they got more important stuff to do. And the brow is sort of like, no, like, they have nothing going on. Like, I'm the only game in town, basically, is what Magnus took away from that. So I think there's, like, that power play going on. And then his fucking wife. I thought she was dead. I thought she was dead. I really gave up hope. And then I got the rest of the poem or the saying or whatever the voices are saying to me. And Han actually pointed out something that I now 100% believe in, which is that she has somehow performed a ritual to whisk herself away to where or whatever Mausolea is, and that she has, uh, she has one-upped Magnus and found out the secret long before he did um, and, and found a way there. So that's my current uh, hope slash dream, uh, but who knows? It, you know, I think that it reminds me of the things I've been thinking about just for, for headspace reasons. Part of it's the character I'm playing being devoted to the god of certainty. Um, because I'm trying to figure out what is certain. And there's certain laws that the universe abides by, like laws of like the th- laws of thermodynamics, right? Like The laws of fantasy be, physics. Fantasy physics, right? Energy can't be created or destroyed, matter, etc. Things one thing flows from another. Or reactions and equal opposite reaction, the sort of Newtonian laws of physics. And it's really interesting because those are, if somebody asks me what's certain, I mean, that's just about it. 
you know that the, that is the basis of all certainty is the immutable laws of basic physics those like four laws and something that I, I think is interesting is playing a character who worships certainty and knowing what's supposed to happen in a world where, where things those things aren't happening um it makes me think that i i guess obviously we don't know everything especially whenever i'm like yes the sun god and righteousness and it's like no it's a black cloud you dumbass um as we're revealing more and more things how does uh, arcos feel about the gothification of his his god <laughs> we'll explore i'm that waiting for him to switch episode. his wardrobe palette <laughs> we'll explore that in episode <laughs> um it's uh you know it's he's taken a lot of time to think things through we'll put it that way um so, so the conspiracy theory I'm trying to figure out, like here, here's where I'm at right now, is I'm trying to figure out with the erasure of Mausolea, who, like whatever is doing that, you know, it relates back to the idea that what power is in this universe is something believing in you. Like the more of someone believing in you, the more powerful you are. And if you're a god that was forgotten about, you literally cease to exist. And like it's like a it's your resource as a god, and there's many in here, is people caring about your shit. It's people worshiping you, believing you. Not that they would ever admit to needing you. And so the way to kill it is to make everybody forget you ever existed, to erase you from memory. And so like did somebody have beef with the mausolea or whatever place this is, or um is trying to erase it from memory? Because that's how our gods are that's how i always thought the brow is it's like it's a god trying to get everybody to convert to worshiping it so it's more powerful than the other gods the power play so i'm trying okay, to figure so out what happened in the primordial titan era that some being tried to get rid of mausolea or something and this, he's is, this, to is, back. this is some just free association so hear me out so i was thinking about what ham was saying about like drawing life from other things and it doesn't like end and go to the you know planes of death it like goes to mount verlar maybe theoretically hypothetically so what if the brow killed whatever deity or you know yeah let's just say deity let's just make a lot of assumptions <laughs> say there was a deity that was like worshipped in mausolea now mausolea sounds like what word mausoleum uh-huh so what if it was a death god in mausolea was a not a oh. continent but a plane that was like a dead plane basically or like a plane of the dead and the proud wanted to subvert the god of death so instead of people dying they could corrupt them take their life energy pull it somewhere else put it in the volcano battery huh we oh, cracked oh, it oh. but that's still, cracked it, no. that still doesn't answer what the volcano is batterying shut up <laughs> it's a big laser or something i don't know it's a laser it's gonna, you guys it's, laser. it's a laser it's, it's a big laser they're not pointing it at anything they're not using it for anything but man is it bright it's a space laser it's just a spotlight i think that's gotta be it i, I think it Rout makes sense. Is trying to throw the craziest rave of all time mills is like writing down ideas right <laughs> yeah no, but I do, yeah, one of the, the main things that I, I, I love hearing your conspiracy theories, especially that you, each of you has taken the same information and, like, been fascinated with a specific aspect of it. Like, they're all interrelated, but, like, I feel like Han is mostly focused on what are the geopolitics going on right now? Rob's mostly focused on what does this mean for the gods? And Brendan, you're like, what was the past? Like, it's just, I think it's it's interesting. And I feel like it also kind of relates to 
how each of your characters approach and interact with the world too. Um, yeah, but I a, a very big part of this and a very big part of the lore and something that I'm always thinking about is like, what does it mean to have gods in a world where you can definitively prove they're gods? Like, what are they? How do they function? How do they gain and lose power? Um, and how does the existence of a god shape the beliefs of the people who worship them? And how do the beliefs of the people... Um, sorry, there's like a spider. Ew. Um, Famous. Australia for you. Um, is it like a foot but... big? <laughs> All right, move on. It's small. <laughs> I don't know what picture is. <laughs> um, but I lost my train of thought. But I was saying, oh, how does, how does the way a god is... in exert their influence change the people and how do people's belief in a god fundamentally change who that god is and what that god is um and what things can't be changed in that exchange and at what levels and to what degrees do those things interact with each other and that's just that's just my like corner of ttrpg philosophy that i like to engage in which is kind of the cornerstone for a lot of how this world functions yeah, it's been cool to be able to explore that um, from the ground up with a homebrew setting where the gods you left pretty undefined and allowed us as the worshippers of them to sort of shape that those some of those aspects. Um, and it's been very fun. Well, cool. So uh, through all this discussion we've answered, I feel like a couple of these questions that have been asked just through uh discussion so if you asked us a question and we skipped it that's why because i feel like we already answered some of these while you're looking at that i just do also want to say that like i think one thing that i've been playing with as a dm and you guys have been experiencing as characters is like the concept of an unreliable narrator whether that's history whether that's the gods in the institutions you're interacting with or just like not your perspective of your memory in the sense that your memories weren't real but like that you only understood a, a fraction of it and more things happened that I, that's just also, I don't know. I think that relates to the gods and the conspiracies and all that. Very nice. Um, so the next question that I feel like is a little bit related that I think we could go into a, a good uh, branch into. Um, did you come up with the setting for the world completely homebrew? So I guess more a broader question being how did you come up with Kraith and Quira and what was your and I think someone else asked how long it took how long have you been working on the world so I'm going to meld those two questions what inspirations did you draw and also do you plan on any other games in the future in this world I know that's a lot at once but yeah take what you want um okay cool so I will say that the mechanics around gods the way gods work um is and like the the way the cultures form around that is something that I've been tossing around probably since I soon after I started playing D anD D and certainly soon after I started DMing in general. Um, I I don't I don't know how I could say like a world is completely homebrew. I mean like yes, it obviously draws heavily from D anD D lore. It was mostly there's a, a part of it that's just keeping the things I like and throwing away the things I don't. Um, 
for me, I like having flexibility of just, you know how like you go to Renaissance Fair and it's not actually the Renaissance, it's just that vibe. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone is dressed up like that. That is these things. That is what I want from my fantasy world. I want to be able to have an infernal spa and that sort of thing and not like break the, the system. Um, so most of how I built the world was just starting with specific assumptions and then asking questions about how those could work or how those work differently. Um, I just wanted to challenge myself with like magic, like the idea that there are universal truths and experiences that are filtered through our own lens. So none of the magic or spells that exist in this world couldn't also exist in a D&D world. You could use the D&D framework of like the eight schools of magic or like, you know, that's also a common witchcraft thing. Um, but we're using that framework because like the D&D framework is just based off of regular, like traditional occult lore and that yeah. sort of thing. So what's another way that people could have conceptualized and thought of different ways to describe these exact same phenomena. Um, I, uh, and then there are also things like there's uh, a realm of dreams that we haven't really gotten about to that was largely inspired by some of the planes in D and D and also like unsleeping city and like the concept of what it means for like dreams to be alive. And that I've seen in other media um, Nil is very much pulled from, I, I, at least my experience with it, it's from the Nisa in the TV series Hilda. <laughs> and like mm. this idea that there's a space that exists in between all spaces. So I feel like with, as with all homebrew, it's just sort of an amalgamation of things I've seen and other stories that I've liked and trying to put them together in one lens. And then there's stuff that uh, like, that I just think is, is neat. Like, yeah, <laughs> there are eyelids that are that are animals that are hibernating. That's cool. That's in there. Very Avatar. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then, like, what does it mean for that to be a land bridge to another continent? Why are these continents having different cultures? And also, how do how do cultures develop? If you want to have the idea of people being able to pay fantasy characters with different characteristics, how do, like, elves or dwarves, how do those things develop? Um... I wanted to kind of get away from the like, this is where the elves live and this is their culture. This is where the dwarves live and this is their culture. So like, what does it mean when you can just sort of take bits and pieces of those aesthetics and those practices? Um, and, and, you know, things like the Feywild, which is, you know, there's like the D&D &D Feywild. Um, but there's also just the concept of a Fey realm and fairies and courts. And those are things that, exists outside of any game system so how like a lot of this is how i think it should function with like air quotes around should but like in the way that makes the most sense to me um building these worlds and so that's kind of where a lot of the homebrew came from i definitely part of the reason why and i need to keep writing down more lore like this is also just a lot of things that have been swirling around in my brain that i finally got to put to paper and um there are this is one specific epoch. There are other continents and lands and that I don't think we'll visit at any point in this podcast. I don't really have plans to visit them elsewhere, but I would like to. And I just could probably kind of see myself just building and adapting this kind of a setting for running other things. Um, there, there are also aspects of this from like home games that I run that... I, just things that I do that I'm like I'm putting that in here and no one's gonna know there's like four people in the world who are gonna know y'all don't know any of them yeah so so yeah I think 
I think that just kind of happens too when you play a lot of TTRPGs and if you DM at all or if you're the sort of person who just likes to sit around and daydream that a lot of these things don't have a concrete start and end. Um, and it's once you start writing it down that you force yourself to find the ways that the connection's built and that's how you create lore. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Um, well said. So I um, am going to cut this episode off right around an hour because I want to make sure we have enough content for part two. So I think a somewhat short question that gives everyone a chance to talk. <laughs> I've been asking a lot of Amelia questions today. Um, what are favorite moments from the season so far? Um, and for specifically Amelia, what moment this season had you as a proud GM or something that went super according to plan? Who wants to go first? Favorite moments? I don't want to. Y'all been talking. I've been talking. So you talk. <laughs> All right, I can start if no one else wants to start. Um, so I really, I think if you've been listening to all of our seasons, I myself really enjoy um, really diving into my character and giving my, setting myself up for um, drama in uh, my character so I can, so I get to like perform a little bit. Uh, I did that with Akala. I'm definitely doing that with Winnie. Um, So the, just all of Winnie's uh, specifically specifically not the old fair stuff specifically the stuff with ellie and with avi i have really really enjoyed um just kind of getting to delve into that that's probably my favorite part of of ttrpgs is uh really getting to those emotions um it's just very much an adrenaline rush and i like thinking about it beforehand how things are gonna turn out and um just kind of evaluating that afterward but other than that um that are not Winnie specific moments that are not Winnie specific. Um, I think I just really liked um, the attack on the camp because I feel that was before we had uh, de-leveled at all. Um, And we each really got to showcase like how we can, how we work together as a team to eliminate a threat. Like when he was up in the in the tower, just fucking sniping people, and Magnus made this whole big projection of Arcos, and Arcos was, you know, swinging his holy light everywhere. I think that was a very cool demonstration of how all of us work together, and also like a glimpse of our characters at the height of their power. I think that's it's just a very cool moment that we got to do that in the first place, because like. The, what is it called? The homunculus, the big uh, rock guy at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That was that was good, but that felt, you know, too easy for all of us because that's how the story went. Um, but the, the camp, I feel like, really felt uh, cool and like we were using our abilities to, to their maximum there. So I really liked that. Um. My favorite stuff from the season has been the interactions between Arcos and uh, Askarath. <laughs> um, it's just, it's been really fun for Amelia and I to just tee each other up for just great bits. You know, I think like I, the setting the tone with that letter was just so fun. Oh my god, the letter. <laughs> I had a blast with that letter. And it was like, okay, this is our dynamic. And then uh, it's like, alright, Mills, time to play this character that has so far just been talked at very badly and <laughs> totally perfect, you know, 
dynamic. It was a real, like a a yes and for the decades. <laughs> Truly great. I believe and... in Askarath supremacy. <laughs> yeah, and it's just... very like one friend who knew you from before you were famous, but they also knew you back when you were in high school. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And when, when I was writing her into the backstory, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a fun character for Mills to play, but I didn't think it would be this fun. Um, like the, the moment I think it really peaked was when uh, Askarath was like, yeah, I'm the keeper of the gate or whatever. And I'm like, what happened to this? And I just said the first fancy name that came to my mind. Without missing a beat, Mills was like, oh, yeah, they were tired. I was like, I was invited to the retirement party. And you're like, no, you were. You just didn't show up. <laughs> it's like, just the yes ending is so seamless. And we just have such a good understanding of how these two characters interact. And uh, that's a lot of what I love about TTRPGs in general is just the, the yes and improv acting is so good. And it's really showcased to those two. Um, man, I've had, I feel like I've had a lot of fun moments in this campaign. Um, I really enjoy talking with Julian, um, just in general, especially when he keeps revealing nonsense bullshit that he can do that I just never knew he could do, <laughs> like travel to Nil and plane walk. But, um, like to echo what Brennan was I saying, I want you to push I want you to push on that so much because I'm, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but I, I think you're a character more than anyone, Rob, and I do this because I love you. The more you find out about how things are going, I know you're going to be like, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> and you're going to love it, but it's so fucking dumb. It's good, and it's like, I think it'll be narratively rewarding, but like from a you as a player in the character, <laughs> like experiencing the character, I... <laughs> <laughs> interesting well i'm gonna start, start digging into that um yeah i mean i i really enjoy playing magnus generally and i i have i've honestly also had a lot of fun talking to askarath because it's sort of like <laughs> to that point earlier it's like talking with your friend's ex-girlfriend that dated them from before you knew them so it's like <laughs> there's sort of a, a, a fun vibe there um I liked everything about the library as well um, and that whole experience. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lot of fun all around. Um, um, it's, it's difficult to choose one moment. Before you go, Mills, I, I do want to add something that uh, something that you've done that I am really excited to see unravel is Craig. Oh, God. Craig. Oh, my God, I, Craig. I, I, like, Craig we, we could have decided to leave Craig just behind been like, all right, See you later, because he was he did just start out as a little camp grunt that we found. Um, like imagine if Winnie hadn't gone looking for stragglers, imagine if we decided we didn't like him, imagine if we sent him on his way or put him in jail or whatever. And now he is the main character of this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm gonna change my answer like, to, to to talking random shit about the crown, and then you made that the entire plot of Craig. It's whole crazy. Life. <laughs> I'm so excited to see you and it's him being so in uh, dreams in all fair. He is the main character. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's okay. Because here's here's the thing about Craig. Because um, someone, I, I could leave this to part two because this is actually a question on here, and I know we wanted to do it for an hour, so I can just I could just tease at this. Okay. Yeah. Um, in each of everyone's life, you are the main character of your own life, mm. and you guys are 
legendary adventurers who are actually the main characters of stories and songs and epics and ballads. In a very real sense, though, not in the sense of like this podcast, but in this world, Craig is actually the main character. Um, great. If that's all you want to means- say on that, we'll expound on that in part two. Um, <laughs> our, we're really getting right to an hour here. Um, that's, that has such terrible implications <laughs> for us as mentor friends. I know. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Um, <laughs> um, all okay. So die. thank you for listening to, uh, <laughs> of, uh, to part one of this Q&A. We'll be back next week with part two. And uh, if you want to hear us... Uh, sh- Continue to talk about the story, but then also we have some just general kind of weird little questions that are not super story specific. We will talk about those uh, in part two. So thank you all for joining us today and we'll see you in the next Q&A episode next time. everyone i hope you're having a good wednesday we have just released season four episode 33 and um i wanted to say thank you for waiting so very patiently for this episode and i wanted to come on here to say that we have officially wrapped season four um kind of crazy um and what that means is the very next episode is going to be the last episode of Guildfellows ever. Um, kind of crazy, insane, insane. Um, it'll be the last like regular like story episode. We're going to have a season four wrap episode, as we always do. And then we're going to have a podcast, post-mortem, wrap-up, whatever, whatever, whatever. So... As you're hearing this, if you're in our Discord channel, uh, our question channel will be open for both season four questions and podcast overall questions. I think we're probably going to like go season by season and just kind of reflect and see how far we've come and all this stuff. Um, But take this as the opportunity to kind of, you know, talk to all of us as a unit for the last time possibly so um yeah that's that's what we're gonna do um which also means this is gonna be my last announcement update whatever thing ever probably so um yeah I don't know that's really all I kind of have to say I'm a little behind on our social media pages so I apologize for that but um we'll we'll get there we'll catch up and, um, yeah, next week's going to be the very last story episode, season four finale. And then um, I'm not 100% sure when the wrap-up episodes are going to happen. They may not happen for a while, simply because a lot of us are busy um, and we're just kind of working around our schedule. Um, so they might not happen for a few weeks. We're going to try to squeeze them in eventually. Um, we're going to try to squeeze them in quick, but if they don't happen for a minute, then they won't happen for a minute. But 
they'll definitely at least come out this summer. I will make sure that happens. Um, they'll come out as soon as I can wrangle everyone together. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it. I think that's all I really want to say. I don't really need to go into the regular spiel that I do because I don't know. It's, it's almost over. Um, yeah. Thank you to Arcane Anthems for the, the theme song as always. Um, and thank you to everyone who has listened, uh, thus far. And I'll, we'll get into it more once those wrap-ups come out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've got. Thank you for listening. Um, that's all I've got for you guys today. We love you all so much. Keep your heads up. Stay safe. We love you. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.